Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. Today's episode is uh, uh, Sherry. Isn't that for old people and the cast of Frasier? Uh, what even is it? It feels like it belongs in a fruit cocktail or something. Oh, it's a fortified wine. All right, sure. Why not? At least it'll get you drunk. So uh, go go grab your smoking jacket and your pipe if you're feeling fancy, and uh, don't forget to have a drink. Have a drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. Hello. Hey, everybody. Ooh. Hi, guys. <laughs> Another wine episode. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Casey's not here. <laughs> sneak up on you. <laughs> yeah. Is, is this, yeah, this is so, our first wine episode sans Casey. Is it? Is it? Uh, I'd have to check my notes. Yeah, no, I don't remember. But that sounds kind of right, actually. Uh, no, we did we did Burgundy without him. Oh, yes, that's oh, right. That's Burgundy. Right. Yes, because that was the uh, legendary Coat de Nuts. Coat uh, de Nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully there's going to be less language butchering this time, but I'm making no promises. No, no. Consider Consider the Spanish language buried now. Hmm. What's uh what's Spanish for coat to nuts? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I don't know. See, if you're looking for a translation, you need a, chan- a translation for coat as in a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> like you just really got to skew this and make it as terrible as possible. Oh, but uh, Justin, what have you been up to in the last couple weeks? Uh, searching coat de nuit, uh, Costa de noches. <laughs> Okay. That sounds not even as, better. Not as much fun. I don't know. No, Everything sounds better in Spanish. It makes me think of uh, Toy Story and Buzz Lightyear Spanish mode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, not not been too awful much. Uh, mostly still in back recovery mode. Uh, seen some doctors. And they're like, yeah, you're fine. Like, Take some muscle relaxers every so, every so often. You'll be good. You're like, my back, it hurts. It's not fine. <laughs> I mean, it's just going to be what I deal with. Uh, the, the the rain and snow lately have not made it easy, but mm. it's been improving. Just today's not been great. That sucks. Yeah. No worries. Uh, other than that, like I, <laughs> after our uh, our debacle at... Uh, uh, ethereal. Ethereal killed so many brain cells i forgot where i was at <laughs> um, i uh 
kind of took it easy for a couple of weeks drinking wise. Uh, though I did discover I did not lose my chair at Ethereal. Oh, oh yes, because you thought you'd left it there. I was positive I left. I had no memory of putting it in my trunk. I, I found barely, it. I barely had memory of getting home. So. I am very happy that both of you made it alive. <laughs> like it did not seem like that was going to be the case. <laughs> I was fine. Yes. Okay. Uh, but afterwards, yeah, no, I was like, take a take a little little breather from uh, from drinking so much, but only to have a little bit of baba at our uh, in my weekly D- or biweekly D and D game. So, and then they turn around and announce at the end of this month they're doing a uh, high gravity beer festival. Nothing under eight percent. Means I'm back into training mode. Dun 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 dun. I have to break open raw eggs and put them into my beer now. <laughs> oh, there's a thought. You drink for lightning a... and crap thunder. That's a thought. And for stout. A... Thought for a beer. A I mean, beer, I guess it does work with the whiskey sour. A thing, beer right? with uh, eggs in it, and it's got to be like Rocky themed. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Look, it's fine if I joke about it, but the actual like thought of like, oh, we're gonna put eggs in this. Ugh. Well, just froth it up. Ugh. <laughs> Brewed with fermented eggs. There's got to be some culture that did that, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, it has I, to be. I guarantee it. Yeah. Can't. How about you guys? Uh, what's been going on with you? While well, I research, can you ferment <laughs> eggs? <laughs> uh, I don't. God, I don't think we've done much of anything. Our son experienced snow for the first time today. That's exciting. It was mm-hmm. exciting. It, it tired him out. He was asleep he before was, six. He was done. He fell asleep eating dinner. Like he just, like, it, he would just start whining. So Brian's like, I'm going to get him his blanket. She gave him his blanket and he just like took the blanket, laid it over top of his dinner and just put his head down. He's just like, no, I'm done. <laughs> and we're done here. Thanks. <laughs> it was, like it was enough to like, he didn't even fight changing his clothes and his pajamas we sat on the couch, and he was like, and no. I was still, like, <laughs> slipping him squash. Like, he'd put his head up, and I'd put a fork full of squash in front of him. He'd be like, um. <laughs> and then he'd lay his head back down. <laughs> so Apparently, yeah. you can ferment eggs. Ugh. They have salt. They have recipes for salt brined fermented eggs. Oh, God. I don't know with that. that I just, mm. <laughs> It's fine. We can go back to what we're talking about, but oh, I just fine. wanted to give you an answer. Uh, yeah, uh, and it's been more of a looking looking towards the future. And that's when we saw that Demogorgon has a release coming up at Streetside. Oh, uh, yeah. Vanilla <sighs> vanilla Demogorgon what and is that? Cinnamon Whiskey Barrel. With Fireball Whiskey Barrel Demogorgon. I could pass on that one, but... When is the release again? Vanilla. Uh... Uh, no, it's in our Discord. <laughs> yeah, you, you can get in the Discord, and you can figure it out. It's a very long. Uh, apparently, there's all the releases happening that weekend in Cincinnati. Oh, it's the same weekend. We're not going to be here or something. No, we're going to be here. Oh. I'm going. I don't know what plans you have, Brittany, but Chris is not going along with them. <laughs> <All> <laughs> exactly. Right. I, w- I will be at Streetside. 
It's, uh, something else is releasing like next weekend when we're going to be back in Eastern Kentucky. There's so. always something. It, it, Listerman's in town. They release something three days a week. Like, that's no joke. They have yeah. releases three days a week. <sighs> well, you know what else happens in Cincinnati? Uh, Oktoberfest Cincinnati. It does. And we're still. Still looking for the official, like, the organization that puts on Oktoberfest Cincinnati has not released dates, but several others are coming out and going, yeah, it's going to be the 18th to the 20th, because it's always the weekend that it is. Yeah, it's basically everywhere else. <laughs> it's just a matter if they're going to extend it again this time or not. Yeah, that's what I think mm-hmm. we're, they're waiting on word about that happening. And uh, so September, September 18th to the 20th, you can come join us. In the streets of Cincinnati. You ever want to get your illegal day drunk going on in the middle of the street? We're you know, hoping to make more of an event of it this time, too. Yeah. You know, As if else? we don't have enough people usually going with us. Or where else us there. you can get your, get your legal drunk going on in the middle of the streets? At Bachfest, coming up at the end of this month, February 28th. In Cincinnati, obviously. In Cincinnati. Uh, Different part of Cincinnati, though. The largest Bach beer festival in the world. You know, sorry, back to Oktoberfest. I'm just thinking if we had enough people, I was like, I'm trying to weigh out how funny it would be to wear lederhosen and how uncomfortable all day I would be in lederhosen. That's, see, I've weighed Depends these. on the weather. Also, you don't wear shorts. It's I gonna don't be, wear shorts. It's gonna <laughs> Maybe be I could wear lederhosen, but underneath them, there are still blue jeans. <laughs> or like... I was going to say leggings, but that'd be... That's on a different level of weird. So, no, this is where Socks kilts... Socks that just raise all the way up. <laughs> this is where kilts come in. <laughs> because you, it's the perfect garment for a hot, hot, hot day where you're going to need to access a toilet quite often. Because you just some pull the, the front of it up. Like, that's some all... Some of us don't have kilts, Chris. They, they don't cost that much. That can be fixed. <laughs> Uh, they don't sponsor. I wish they did. Uh, USAKilts.com, and you can get the pub package, which uh, comes with look this up now. comes with a kilt. I think it's a kilt, belt, sporin, and a t-shirt for like a hundred bucks. I love that we're just actually in a constant thing of just trying to get Bob to spend money. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> you have disposable income. You should spend it on this. You don't have a toddler. Packages. You have disposable income. I'm paying off a car. I feel like that's suggestive when you so go to we. the website and it says packages and it's just a big zoom in of a guy's crotch. Good job. <laughs> uh, well, we we do not have a movie draft minute because I'm pretty sure the draft is over. Draft draft is pretty much done. Uh, we don't we don't get a nice you know send off from Big Voice Jay because he's done such, done. such done good more work. than enough work. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we're we're finished, we're done, and we actually didn't finish where we thought we were going to. Well, give you the rundown, and we're going to work our way up. Bottom up, okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. In sixth place, we have Snowsho- uh, uh, Snowshoe with uh, uh, $300,805,569. Oh, okay. okay. Next up, we have uh, Geek Grills with... Just a little above them, uh, three hundred million eight, uh, three hundred eighty-one million uh, seventy-one thousand and forty-two dollars. So, working our way up, they just barely ahead. Just above them uh, is Gelf. She came in with four four million four hundred. Uh, sorry, 
$445,383,225. An update as the dock finished, as we were looking at it earlier, RMP is in third place. What? With one of our movies didn't load earlier. Uh, $546,493,393. Yeah, whatever. Fuck it. Third place. Got it. Third place. Second was us with $600,000,000. We managed to cross six hundred. We got six hundred million six uh six hundred and thirty eight thousand four hundred and twenty six dollars. <laughs> so basically, Playmobil's total. <laughs> I was just saying, fuck yeah, Frozen. Playmobil's one million dollar dollars got us over six. <laughs> yeah, Playmobil. Uh, and then Drunk Kids Gaming, they are the winners with uh seven hundred uh, seven hundred ninety four uh, million. Uh, Five hundred seventy-eight thousand five hundred seventy-two dollars. Did they have? They had Star Wars, right? No, yeah. no, they did not have Star Wars. Central oh. Misery had Star Wars. What did Drunk Kids Gaming have that pushed them? <sighs> Drunk Kids Gaming else. had <laughs> Joker. Oh. They had, uh, which is up for eleven undeserved Academy Awards, by the way. <laughs> I, it's fine, but it's not that good. Uh, they also had Maleficent. Hmm. They had Ford versus Fiari. Uh, it's not what they sorry, had. Ford versus Fieri is how it's listed in the in the no. doc. So <laughs> like, it's not, not right. what they had. They didn't have any like blockbusters kind of things. They had a they good scooped, chunk of yeah. They scooped up everything on a deal. Yeah. Queen and Slim. I don't even remember. Uh oh yeah. yeah. Going over that. They got a lot of mid tier movies for like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, they cobbled everything together quite well. Yeah, it's a big go them. Like they they did very well, very well did. for themselves. Oh, they also got Bad Boys. Oh, uh, that actually did pretty well. Did it? Yeah, but for our purposes, oh, it only so. made one hundred and fifty-seven million. Yeah, it did not. <laughs> it's the it was like it only had four weeks to make money. So. Mm-hmm. Our uh, our spies in disguise train kept kept us going too. How did that so. actually do? <laughs> Sixty-four bad. million. Bad, okay. real I didn't bad. See it. I didn't see like what happened with it. Since sixty-four million, that's not terrible. It's not great, but it's you know. It didn't. That movie did not make its money back. Hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Will Smith is expensive, and he's not been in anything good in a long time. So let's talk about uh, the next thing, which is Untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, wrecked, Indeed. So, uh, speaking of riggedy wrecked. Beerhead Collab AF. It's a great name. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, it says it's Collab AF. All February, Beerhead is offering 50 exclusive collaboration brews from 36 breweries across across its locations. That is incorrect grammar. Uh, each Beerhead location will have up to 40 plus collaborations, uh, collaborations beers on Wow, guys. Okay, uh, beer on tap rotating throughout the month of February. They include these beerhead exclusive collaboration beers and other outside brewery collaboration beers. It's been a long time since we've dunked on uh, Untapped for their. <laughs> yeah, uh, hurts a little bit. Um, ten GABF and Obab award-winning breweries were part of this monumental achievement. Check into any of the beerhead collab AF beers during the month of February and earn this exclusive badge. Um, 
it's got a list, and we will have it linked because <laughs> it's uh, uh, did there's they, a few. So okay, <gasps> look, did they do with any any of our locals? Um, oh, there's a clown shoes though. That's almost local. The Lemon Lawyer. That's a great that's name. That's within Ohio, I guess. Uh, Fatheads. Oh, uh, Dark Heart from the Fatheads. There is on this list from. Rohrbach Brewing, a Neapolitan Scotch ale. Oh, all right. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'm just trying to see who it's collaboration with. Hoppin' Frog, God's another Ohio brewery. Um, <laughs> oh, Saga Talks on here. Chocolate the... Raspberry Imperial Stout. That sounds hmm. fine. Um, Stone Yard, another one I've at least heard of. <laughs> Um. Yeah. West Beer Shore, market. I think I've heard of. Wild right. Onion, not a good name for a brewery, I feel like. Uh, could be. <laughs> Alright, well, what's up next, though? That's, oh. that's you, Sue. Next oh. is the Untapped <laughs> Beer Festival in Charlotte in 2020. Oh, let's, let's throw it to the person who doesn't actually ever read these. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Let's get the beer flowing. Untied Beer Festival is heading back to Bank of America Stadium I, because last year it went so great. I, I went off without a hitch. There, there were no weather problems. There were no, you know, counterfeit ticket problems. There were no problems of reentry. I mean, it was just a fantastic festival, and everyone had a great time, right? Yep. Uh, but May 16th for the second annual celebration of great beer and incredible untapped community with two sessions hosting over 150 participating breweries from all across the country, pouring beer both on the field and in the stadium concourse, and of course with stronger cups, we're ready to celebrate. So what's new this year? Uh, new stronger sampling cups because the old ones didn't last. Uh, I was going to say, did the old ones dissolve when you poured beer in them? That's only what I can guess. So, new weather contingency plan, <laughs> considering last year's basically got called off because of weather. Uh, quicker entry, because it took them more than half of the festival to get people in. <laughs> uh, two sessions to choose from, which are how they got quicker entry. <laughs> hmm. Enhanced VIP experience, meaning you can give them more money. Yes. Um, and food trucks, because someone else needs more of your money. <laughs> right. But that said, the enhanced VIP experience does involve food pairings, and more food is always a pleasure yeah. at these kind of things. Yes. True, true. When you're drinking that much. Uh, pre-sale tickets for untapped supporters on sale Wednesday, January 29th, so they're already on sale. And the public sale began on January 31st. Hmm. So, you can and, buy tickets now. Yeah, you can go get your tickets and go to that. It's within reach for us to go, but no. But no. Yeah. I got... um, but I mean, you know, more power to people who are able to go and, you know, that could it could be fun. Maybe they learned their lessons from last year. It, it'll be fun Maybe. to find out. Maybe we'll see another storm roll through and... Absolute chaos will break out again. I know. Who knows? Anywho. <coughs> wow. Anywho, uh, I guess you should go check out this week's news episode where we were talking about uh, Prosecco ATM and a 55-year vintage 
on a Yamazaki single malt. And and we kind of weigh in with, uh, well, we debate on what the actual cost is for that. Because hmm. you can't even enter the lottery if you're outside of Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is I need to change my residence to Japan. Yes, because you have to have a Japanese address. I mean, we for, all need to do that anyway. For notification and delivery of the bottle. Okay. Yeah. I've got Japanese for dummies here on my shelf. <laughs> I could probably learn Japanese in the flight. There we go. Yeah, that, that's how that works. <laughs> sure, sure. I, you can go get one of those, like, uh, the like closet apartments, which are just apartments there, I guess. <laughs> the bending unit apartments? Yes. You, mm. you have to stand up. There's not enough room to, to lay down. Right. If if that was the case, I'd have to sleep constantly like this, <laughs> as if I was frozen in carbonite. <laughs> so if anyone opened the door, if just filled with like, like a, a like a fogger or a smoke machine, <laughs> they just open it up and they just sound it. <laughs> yes. Oh, my pizza. Thank you. <laughs> oh man, I love pizza. Okay. All right. Well, I think it's time we uh, talk about our actual topic. Yes, indeed. Kevra Scotsnaz. Uh, yes, they, actually, no, I'm in a sherry mood tonight. Sherry? What an intriguing idea. <laughs> I think I can scare up a bottle of sherry. <laughs> I also like the idea of scaring up a bottle of anything. <laughs> oh, booga, booga, booga. <laughs> uh, well, uh, buckle up is probably going to be a long one. Uh, <laughs> buckle up, buckaroo. So, it, it gives you an idea how long this is going to be when the very first mention of sherry wine comes to the, from the Greek geographer Strabo, one of the five Greek historical names you're going to know. Yep. And not just uh, from this episode. In the first century BC, uh, in his book Geography, Volume 3, he writes <laughs> that the first vines were brought to the uh, Her- uh, Heres region of the uh, by the Phoenicians in uh, 1100 BC. Archaeolo- archaeological sites of Phoenician origins have been discovered the excavations at uh, Castillo de bon- uh, Dona Blanca, located 45 kilometers from Jerez, where the remains of wine presses have been found. Discovery confirms that the same people who founded the ancient towns of, Gad- of Gades or Cadiz uh, brought with them the art of cultivating the vine and winemaking from far off lands of what is now known as Lebanon. From Zara, we are given the name by the Phoenicians uh, to the region where Heres stands today. This is the nation of traders that produced wine, where which were then exported through the whole Mediterranean basin, especially to Rome. Rome loved wine. <laughs> Big fan, yeah. Uh, thus, Right from its most remote origins, sherry wine acquired one of the most important characteristics, which has become its identifying factor over the centuries, which is that of being a wine which travels. Uh, Greeks and Carthaginians also played an important role in the history of the region, rooted deeply in the Mediterranean culture of wine and moderation. Around 138 BC, the Betica region, Betisa, um, and you sure. said I wasn't going to butcher anything. Uh, anyway, it was uh, pacified by uh, Scipio Aemilianus. <laughs> pacified is a very polite way the Romans would say <laughs> of genocided. Yeah. 
<laughs> Just look, when you ever read Caesar's Gallic campaigns, when he says he pacified people, it means he killed people by the thousands. It means he committed war crimes. Yes. Uh, anyway, Scipio Emilianus, who established Roman rule and opened up a substantial flow of trade between the region and the metropolis, the of Cadiz, the Gratiandos, Gratianos, exported uh, the local products to Rome, olive oil, wine from the uh, carrot region, and garum, a kind of marinade sauce made from leftovers of salted fish. Yum. Yeah. Mmm. <laughs> you know what this meat needs? Let's marinate it in some old salted fish. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that just lutefisk? <laughs> A lot more lutefisk in ancient Rome than you would think. Uh, by this time, the fame of Venom Seratinus Sera had already crossed over from our, uh, from our frontiers, and it was not only the highly anticipated in Rome, but many other parts of Europe, a fact proven by the discovery of numerous archaeological remains in the shape of amphora, which for tax purposes, bore a stamp of the clay on their surface, which stated their content. The Roman writer uh, from Cadiz, Lucius Unius Moderatus Col Columna, born during the first years of the Christian era, uh, during his De Ora Rustica, which, uh, in which he laid down the basic rules for vineyards in the Jerez area, which have survived to the present day. Uh, soil and grape types, vineyard locations, and various vineyards tasked at what time of the year to carry them, uh, to carry them out, and the quality of, uh, and the quality of must be obtained, and so on. Sounds like thrilling reading. Mm. <laughs> yes, a real, a real page turner. Presumably, things went relatively unchanged until the year 700, uh, 711 AD, which marked the commencement of the Moorish denomination of Spain, opening a period of history in which, and, uh, which, in the case of Jerez, would last for over five centuries. During all this time, Jerez remained a uh, large wine-producing center, even though the Koran prohibited the consumption of alcohol. <laughs> we make wine! You're not allowed to drink it, but we make wine! <laughs> For export only, cough, cough. It's like, but how will we know that it's good? I don't know. Just going to have to guess. To a certain extent, the production of raisins, the distillation of alcohol for a variety of different uses, like perfumes and ointments, and the use of wine for medicinal purposes, oh. provided the pretext for the continuing growing of uh, vines and making wine. <laughs> So, so even the, the the medieval equivalent of the weed card. <laughs> I'm gonna say even back at like 800 AD, it's just like, oh, I've got my wine card here. <laughs> uh, gotta I gotta get that wine. It's for it's for like, my oh cataracts. no, it's for my glaucoma. <laughs> my cataracts. Oh. <laughs> well, in fact, in uh, 966, the Caliphate Al Hakim II decreed the, the grubbing up of. Jerez vines on religious grounds, only to be informed by the people of Jerez that the grapes from their vineyards were used to produce raisins to feed the troops fighting in the Holy War, which was indeed partially true, and thus ensured that only a third of their vineyards were grubbed up. Nice <laughs> save. You, it's like, we use these to feed your men. Well, I can't back down now. <laughs> Get rid of a third of them. <laughs> Uh, in any case, we all know that during the specific periods of reduced religious fervor, wine was both widely appreciated and consumed. 
especially among the more elite social circles of the time. You know, those caliphates that had their weed card. <laughs> those cataracts. Really, really acting up in the nobles. So, in 1264, King Alfonso X. I just want to say X. The 10th. No, I want to no, I wanna, I wanna be that person. <laughs> King Alfonso X. You know, it was after the series of, of uh, King Alfonso 1 through uh, one through uh, 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 7. And then they just skipped on to, like, no. The, the great, great. Mega Alfonso the X. The great, 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 great grandfather of DM X. <laughs> And we're reaching in this episode, it turns out. <laughs> DMX turns 50 this year, by the way. God. That's fine. He already kind of looked like he was getting there. X X <laughs> gave it to us. X is allowed to retire. X is going to give it to DMX. you once he gets some Ben Gay on his back. Uh... <laughs> uh. Oh, all right. Uh, re- when he reclaimed uh, Yerez from the Moors and life in the, the, Sher- moops. <laughs> the moops in the Sherry region changed radically. Located at the frontier of the Nazarid kingdom of Granada. <laughs> Hence its full name, Jerez de la Frontera. The, the city underwent years of bitter struggle, violence, and bloodshed. It, it, isn't that just the region? Uh, during which replenishment of both population and crops became essential. A reward system associated with conquest had been created with the crown distributing specific units of land on the basis of social prestige and merit. Vines... Oh, really? Mm, yeah. I, I'm shocked. <laughs> Gasp! Vines and cereals, uh, obligatory crops by law, became the economic and dietary linchpins of a territory of which Alfonso was very fond and where he owned his own vineyard. Tradition has it uh, that one of his most important military officers... Fernand Abanez Palomino gave his name, Palomino, eh, to the variety of grape that later became a local classic. Around this time, and even in the 12th century, sherry wines were being exported to England, where they were known by the Moorish name of For the City, uh, Sherish. However, because, you know. <laughs> The English looked at Jerez and went, I don't know, Sherish? <laughs> yeah, they said, no, forget that word. Uh, however, our wines became popular in this country when Henry uh, I proposed a bartering agreement to promote national produce, English wool for sherry wine. They were playing Settlers of Catan. Yeah, <laughs> to say. Uh, we'll, give you, we'll give you one wine for two wools. <laughs> How many sheep you got? <laughs> the the Harris vineyards then became an important source of wealth for the kingdom, so much that King Enrique, <laughs> Enrique, yeah. Enrique the second, Enrique. Enrique. Enrique the third of uh, oh third, sorry, I've, I've just missed an I. of Castile prohibited the uprooting of even a single vine <laughs> by royal decree in 1402. Even, it's uh, what we call uh, in, in royal circles a dick move. <laughs> yeah. Even going as far as to forbid the placement of beehives in close proximity to the vineyards in case the bees should damage the grapes. I feel like someone didn't understand pollination. how... Pollination. Yeah. Pollination. I mean, 1402. <laughs> yeah. 
you would think you'd be Look, like, so people need... were smarter back then than you give them credit for. Oh, well, yeah. The growing demand for sherry wines from English, French, and Flemish merchants led the two council uh, to establish the regulations of the Guild of Raisin and Grape Harvesters of Jerez on 12th of August, 1483. We, we really don't get a lot of episodes that reach us back this far. No. Not really, no. Also, I do love the Guild of Raisin and Grape. <laughs> yeah. The Guild of Calamitous Raisins. <laughs> Raisin and Grape Harvesters of Heras. <laughs> Come on. This sounds so Monty Python, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> these were the first rules governing our... The, uh... Demonization. Denomination. Denomination of origin regulating all the details of the harvest, the characteristics of the butts, the <laughs> the aging system and commercial producers. Look, it's Yeah, like you know. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to go into to, to Sir Mix a lot for a second and oh, see, my brain shut down. Tina Belcher in my head. <laughs> uh I'm just saying that they gotta pack much back. <laughs> So, fellas. Yeah. Fellas. Yeah. Overseas sales of sherry wines underwent a further period of expansion after the wedding of Catherine of Aragon, youngest child of the Catholic monarchs, uh, first to King Arthur of England. I'm sure that marriage lasted a long time and there was no problems. Exactly. And later to King Henry VIII. I'm sure that marriage lasted a long time when there were no problems, and no one got excommunicated. <laughs> Catherine, an educated woman, voiced a complaint that she's married to Henry VIII. <laughs> Big Harry King. <laughs> the king, my husband, keeps the very best wines from the Canaries, and here is for himself. Yeah, well, look, did Henry VIII strike anyone as a not-selfish prick? <laughs> yeah. It's like, look, your head was remaining attached at that point. What were you The only for? reason you lived, woman, is because the, uh... <laughs> is because your parents were nobles. But were queen, were royalty. But sherry wine was not just exported to Europe. The discovery of America was to open up new markets and business flourished as a result. This was the period of epic voyages and geographical discovery. A series of historic events were celebrated with sherry wine, as proven by the fact that Magellan purchased 417 wineskins and 253 kegs of sherry before setting out on his long voyage, which means that sherry was the first wine to complete a voyage around the world. That Magellan himself didn't actually complete, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, and also, like, the Pacific's real big, guys, and they did not take the fastest route around. No, they did not. I don't think there was any sherry left. No. <laughs> uh, this also may or may not have been more than he spent on guns. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a popular story that uh, Magellan spent more and bought more sherry than he bought guns, which probably would have served him better and kept him alive longer. <laughs> in, you know, the Philippines. Yep. Not, Philippines did not work out so well. Uh, there's also evidence that sherry wine was present at events celebrating the conquest of new territories, 
such as Venezuela and Peru. <laughs> I'm sure the, Venice, the, the, the native tribes in Venezuela and Peru were not getting any of that sherry. They, like, they, look, yeah. we've taken it! Yes! Um, could, could we have some? No. They, we killed all your men. They say they were, they were pacified. By pacified, they mean there was no one left alive to say anything. <laughs> By pacified, anything. we mean there were war crimes committed. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I want to write a history book now that just, like, replaces everything with, like, and they were pacified. And by pacified, I mean war crimes were committed. Could we just make a new verb out of this whole thing and instead of war crimes, just say Caesared? <sighs> no, because people will think that, like, war crimes aren't a thing. Like, oh, see, it was just Caesared. It's not going to work the other way. Caesar's had too many centuries of good press. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, well, the wine growers... <clears throat> wow. The wine growers of the Jerez region took advantage of a provision which stipulated that a third of the cargo space in each ship on each vessel trading with America be reserved for goods from the Cadiz area. Jesus. <clears throat> yeah. This was especially beneficial as far uh, as from 1680 when the head of the fleet moved to Cadiz, thus bringing to an end the monopoly over all trade with the Indies held until that time by the port of Seville. Yeah, screw you, Seville. It's time <laughs> to get some wine down to these people. Exactly. This trade Not with barbers. The, <laughs> this trade with the Indies transformed small family wine businesses into truly large industrial operations. Numerous Italian investors and traders such as Lila, uh, Maldonado, Spinola, Conti, Colarte, Bazzano, and Zarzana <laughs> settled in Jerez during the 15th century. And I'm sorry for all of those. See? <laughs> no, Brittany, there's going to be no hard to pronounce words in this episode. Look, F off. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the sale of sherry in the Indies was frequently hampered by pirates who seized the fleet's cargo and sold it in London. The greatest, <laughs> the greatest haul of sherry wine was made in 1587 when Sir Francis Drake attacked Cadiz and carried off 3,000 kegs of sherry. I'm just saying, Sir Francis Drake lived the best legal pirate life. He did. <laughs> what are you going to do? I'm going to sail around, I'm going to steal wine, and I'm going to steal gold. What's going to happen to you? They're going to make statues of me. <laughs> what? Of the gold. <laughs> I'll be a legend. Uh, when this booty arrived in London, it made sherry fashionable in the English court, and Elizabeth I even went as far as to recommend it to the Count of Essex as best of wine, as the best of wines. Ooh. As a consequence of this rapid increase in the consumption of sherry and the limited supply, King James I decided to set an example to his subjects by ordering that the royal cellars should limit the amount of sherry brought to his table to a modest 12 gallons per day. <laughs> no one else was at that table. He just <laughs> ate by himself. He didn't even eat. They just brought wine to him. Okay. Did it look like that scene from uh, Return of the King? <laughs> yeah. Where uh, the steward of Gondor is eating alone with Mary singing to him? Uh, yes. Just instead of uh, cutting up like the grape tomatoes when his son's about to die, and it looks like blood. It's just sherry, <laughs> gallons of sherry. God, it's they're just like <clears throat> beer bonging sherry. 
<laughs> basically. Yeah. They're just butt chugging sherry in the, in the English court. In the... <laughs> That's got a sting. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, skipping ahead a few centuries to the end of the 19th century, as occurred in almost all European vineyards, the Black Plague (laughs) devastated the vineyards of the Jerez region. An insect... Floroxera, not not the bubonic plague. (laughs) Uh, uh, That word, yes. Uh, An insect imported from America... um... Take that, Europe. (laughs) USA! USA! (laughs) USA! Uh, Doctulosphera? Mark Vidfoli, I'm sorry. Uh, provided the worst blow suffered in the history of wine growing, destroying the their Herre- destroying the Harris vin- vines and blocking their roots. Again, I kind of just want to do another USA chant, just because like just <laughs> uh, it's like no offense, it's terrible for winemaking, but at the same time, like look, guys, you conquered this land, you had to pay some kind of price, and this is a pretty mild one. Yeah. Uh, the first outbreak had been detected several years earlier on numerous vineyards in other parts of Europe. Thus, by the time the insects spread to the Jerez region, the only solution to a problem of such magnitude was well known by all. Uproot all the vines and replant with American rootstock varieties resistant to the insect, upon which local varieties of wine or of vine were then grafted. Um... At least they came to them late. Like everyone else was like, "What should we do?" And they're like, "No, it's fine. We know this. We know the routine by now. Yeah, dig it up." Uh, <clears throat> recuperation of the it's vineyards. Gonna be a lean year. <laughs> recuperation of the vineyards was a relatively rapid process when compared to other regions in Europe, and brought with it the definitive selection of the grape varieties, which are still used to make sherry wines today. The following years were prosperous ones, and in the early decades of the 20th century, improvements in communications and transport allowed sherry wine to expand into international markets. It was during this period, however, that a new problem reared its head, one which had been latent for years but uh, unnoticed by the sherry firms of Jerez, the uprising of the identity of sherry wine. The British were unquestionably responsible for the increased popularity of sherry throughout the world, and not only did they pass on their enthusiasm for the beverage to their numerous colonies around the globe, but in those where it proved possible to produce wine, they began to make drinks of a certain style which were reminiscent of authentic sherry from Jerez, giving them names such as Australian sherry, South African sherry, and Canadian sherry. Man, does anything reek of oppression more than the phrase South African sherry? Oh, God. Yeah. Um, The problem of imitations had arisen, and one which unfortunately remains. These are are the years during which legislation begins to recognize such concepts as the protection of intellectual property and proposed defense mechanisms against uh, usurpation. I didn't know that was a word. And uh, <laughs> imitation. I knew the usurper thing, but like, usurpation. Yeah, okay. No, it's a... <laughs> um, a concept of enormous importance arose in this context the denomination of origin. This was a concept which first appeared in the context of wine production and has since been applied to other food products. And Welcome to your champagnes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we've talked about this before. Uh, <clears throat> in the latter half of the 19th century, the wine producers of the Jerez region true businessmen 
who were in many ways ahead of their time, had attended a series of international conferences which established the legal framework for the defense of denominations of origin. Uh, it's not unusual, therefore, that when the first Spanish wine law was published in 1933, uh, it made reference to existence of the dom- denomination of origin Jerez and its Consejo Regular- Regulador, uh, the first to be legally constituted in Spain. Look, I'm not going to lie. The best part of this is uh, Sir Francis Drake just bringing out. <laughs> <laughs> it's all his fault. Just saying, this this uh, this history section peaked a little bit ago, and it's uh, it's when pirates are there. Oh. Uh, but we've got some different types of uh of sherry. So if you're looking around, hmm? there's a handful. If you're the uh, six fingered man, <laughs> one for each. Uh... Uh, and furry Viking is in the chat. Welcome, sir. Talking about sherry. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the types of sherry. First up, we have vino, uh, which is the driest and most saline of styles. Uh, styles of sherry is generally made from high acid uh, palomino. Palomino. Yeah. Palomino. I. <laughs> I was looking at. it, I was like, not, not Palumbo. <laughs> it's not a knockoff of a '70s detective. Should be. Or a street in like. One more thing, though. Palomino grapes are grown in chalky white soils called <laughs> alabazra. <Jeez>. Alabazira. <laughs> Those things. Sorry, the chat. <laughs> I asked like Hunter S. Thompson, like apparently whatever I'm on to be trying to do a Columbo impersonation because <laughs> that's a that's a timely reference. That's what I was getting ready to say. Timely here. <laughs> Kids love Columbo. It's the thing, yeah. <laughs> Look, when those things were on Netflix, I watched all of them. <laughs> I had never seen them before and went, never mind. These are amazing. <laughs> anyway, Vinos uh, are best tank-fermented white wines that spend their entire fortified existence under a blanket of yeast called floor. <laughs> much much like some children. <laughs> God talking about how your son like grabs his blanket for oh no no i thought thought you were talking about children being drank under the floor (laughs) oh no no it's not the baby cask of uh, whatever that poe story uh anyway the that that blanket of yeast uh protects the production uh, the product from oxidation phenos are usually around 15 to 16 percent alcohol and they're best served chilled like revenge and are dynamite when paired with salty snacks like pe- uh, peanuts, potato chips, cured olives, and fried seafood. Mm. Fish, chips, and sherry. Mm, yes, yes, please, actually. <laughs> Drinking this, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Next up, manzanilla. I th- okay, would it be manzanilla? Spanish? I like manzanilla better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a coat de nuts kind of route. Got it. Manzanilla. <laughs> This flinty style sparks fires, in essence. Uh, uh, Fino made in the coastal town of San Lucar de Barameda. Uh, Manzanilla, to make Brittany happy, uh, like Fino's, incorporate the same winemaking and aging uh, 
aging under floor techniques, which provide uh, preserve freshness and promote salinity. I at first thought that said promote sanity, and I went, hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's a point of view kind of thing, I guess. <laughs> because manzanillas are the lightest of sherries, they pair exceptionally well with raw seafood. So sushi and cherry. Sherry. Oh, I had I had a shrimp cocktail pictured for some reason. <laughs> I mean, that's, st- yeah, still raw seafood. Yeah. Well, not raw, but sort of, yeah. Also anyway, there's, next is uh, Amontillado, which is probably the thing I was trying to say earlier about the Poe. <laughs> or close to it. Anyway, there's no guarantee that the flo- uh, floor banquet will hold, and in cases where it doesn't, Amontillado is the result. Amontillado takes on a brown hue due to the extended contact with air inside the uh, Solera barrels. And rather than the crisp sal- uh, saline flavors of finos and manzanillas, sorry, my tongue just decided to, <laughs> to like, quit on me. Nope. <laughs> Hello, my name is Diego Montoya. <laughs> you drink my sherry. Prepare to dine on these fish and chips. <laughs> Montiados deliver oxidized notes of nuttiness, uh, sautéed mushrooms, and richness best described as umami. Mm. Here are your coat de nuts, (laughs) your your costa de noches. Yeah, your nuts shall be coated here. (laughs) Usually about eighteen percent ABV. Perfect pairings include medium-bodied soups. Now, no no fatty soups here. No bone broth. No bone broth. Uh, or flavored sauces like uh, flavor flavorly sauced white meats like pork, pheasant, and rabbit. Hmm. I've never had rabbit. I've heard it's good though. Yeah. So, uh, all right, our fourth kind is going to be oloroso. Whereas, uh, how did how did we? Uh, Amant- Amontillado. 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 Amontillado is a sherry in which uh, the floor breaks up naturally. And Oloroso sees the cellar master intentionally destroy the floor to promote oxidation. Uh, Oloroso's can be... He throws it on the ground. Stomps it. Oloroso's can be sweet or dry in style, depending on whether the wine includes uh, Moscatel, which is sweet or made strictly from Palomino grapes dry, like with uh, Amontillado. Where the ABV is usually around 18 to 19%, Olorosos can withstand decades in barrel, which creates extra richness and complexity. Hmm. Yes. Yes. So, our fifth one here uh, Palo Cortado, hmm. a wild card of sherry. Uh, Palo Cortado begins its existence under floor. Hmm. Are, are we seeing this pattern? then loses that cover while tracking toward Amontillado. Along the way, however, something mysterious happens, and the wine grows richer and more regal, like Oloroso. The name Palo Cortado is derived from a cross traditionally drawn on the barrel's exterior to note that it's doing its own thing and isn't Amontillado or Oloroso per se. Palo Cortado is an elegant style of sherry best enjoyed on its own. Elegant style, not as clumsy or as random as a <laughs> as a, as a Montealdo. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to work some Star Wars in here. It's not hard to do nowadays. All right, uh, the 
final style, which was in hand. I was about to buy one of these. So it's going to be the cream or PX. I don't know that. that I don't know what that means either. Yeah. Oh, Pedro. Okay. So it's in there. Okay. Okay. So sweet cherries come in a multitude of forms and quality levels uh, from your basic cream sherry, more or less. And Oloroso with sweet grapes like Pedro Jimenez. Jimenez. Or muscatels blended in uh, to complex varietal. PX. I'm just going to. Well, yeah, because it's Pedro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And muscatel-based sherries in which freshly picked grapes are sun-dried to concentrate sugars and flavors. These can be dark. Unctuous. Unctuous wines with viscosity akin to motor oil. (laughs) Yum. I wish I'd gotten one of those. It does sound good, actually. Mm. Yeah, maybe we'll have one of those Jimenez. <laughs> Jimenez. Look, well, we get we gave an effort to pronounce. These. We did. This was I, not I, as bad I, as I'm, some I'm of just, the others. Like I want to go back through like, and like, now spells it out for me. I was like, okay, now I'm now I'm doubling down on doing the wrong thing. Colin used a lot of PX, and ooh, that yeah, that would be good. Uh, this is not as bad as like some of the German episodes, or. <laughs> well, how does one make a sherry? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, sherry must come from the triangular region of the province Cadiz between Jerez de Frontera, San, Lu- San Luca de Barameda, and El Puerto de Santa Maria. However, the name sherry is used as a semi-generic uh, in the United States where it must be labeled with a region of origin such as American sherry or California sherry. However, such wines cannot be exported to the EU. <laughs> because like they're trying to go it's like you're trying to go from Ireland to the to the United Kingdom. <laughs> Just not going to happen anymore. Both Canadians and Australian winemakers now use the term uh, apera instead of uh, instead of sherry, while consumers still use the term sherry because we're not care. adopting new terms. Yeah, <laughs> we don't learn things. Uh, the Harris district uh, has a predictable climate with approximately seventy days of rainfall and almost three hundred days of uh, three hundred days of sun per year. The rain mostly falls between the months of October and May, averaging about six hundred uh, millimeters or twenty-four inches. Summer is dry and hot, while temperatures are as high as 40 degrees Celsius, uh, which is 104 degrees Fahrenheit. But winds from the ocean bring moisture to the vineyard in the early morning, and the clays in the soil retain water below the surface. The average temperature across the year, about 64 degrees Fahrenheit, 18 degrees Celsius. Uh, That sounds nice, actually. Yeah. Uh, The soil, uh, there are three types of soil in the Jerez district uh, for for growing grapes for sherry. Uh, Albazira. Albarisa? Albarisa, yeah. One one almost sounds like a news site in a... (laughs) Anyway, uh, Albarisa, the lightest soil, almost white, best for growing uh, uh, Palomino. Palomino. Whatever, great. It's a miracle that we can say any of these right now. <laughs> uh, it's approximately 40% chalk. The rest being clay mm. and sand. Uh, this preserves moisture well during the hot summer months. There is also barros, a dark brown soil. It's about 10% chalk, a high clay content. And arenas, which is a 
yellowish soil, about 10% chalk with a high sand content. So the same basic things for each of them, but the uh, uh, the Alberez uh, soil that's best grown for growing the uh, Palimo, Palomino grape, uh, and by law, 40% of the grapes making a Pacheri must come from this soil. Uh, the Barros and Arenas soil are mostly used for Pedro Jimenez and the Mos- Moscatel grapes. Uh, I have benefit... to say that uh, the soil, like the soil types, change wines more. Like there's no other industry, like when it comes to alcohol production, mm. where the soil really matters that much. That, yeah. Well, the benefit of the Albazera Albarizia soil uh, is that it can reflect sunlight back up to the vine aiding in photosynthesis. The nature of the soil is very absorbent and compact, so it can retain and maximize the use of the little rainfall that the Jerez region receives. So pretty good for growing growing grapes, it seems. Yeah. Uh, now, with speaking of grapes, before the phylaxera infestation of, the, uh, uh, of 1894, there are estimates to be over uh, 100 varieties of grapes used in Spain for the production of sherry. Now there are three white grapes grown for sherry making. Wow. Palomino, which is the dominant grape used for dry sherries, approximately 90% of the grapes grown are Palomino. Uh, as a uh, ver- uh, varietal table wine, the Palomino grape produces a wine of very bland and neutral characteristics. The neutrality is actually what makes Palomino ideal grape because it's easily enhanced by the sherry winemaking style. Then you have the Pedro Jimenez style, uh, Pedro Jimenez grape, which is used to produce sweet wines. And when harvesting these, they're typically dried in the sun for two days to concentrate their sugars. Hmm. And then there's the Moscatel, which is similar to the Pedro Jimenez, but it's less common. Uh, sherry style wines in other countries will use different grapes. Okay. And I feel rather dumb that I'm just now getting. Uh, so the. Um... Oh, crap. The bottles that we got last year at this time in North Carolina from New Belgium. They, uh, the oh, the PX. Yeah, yeah. It just now dawned on me what that it was notating to us. Well, we hadn't covered it yet, so I mean, how are we? You know, <laughs> how are we to know? Well, let's uh, talk a little about fermentation. Uh, the Palomino grapes are harvested in early September and preserved lightly to extract the must. Uh, the must from the first pressing, the Primera Yema, is used to produce Fino and Manzanilla. The must from the second pressing, the Segunda Yema, will be used for Oloroso. The product of additional pressings is used for lesser wines. Distillation and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> that's like insult uh, the, the must is then fermented in stainless steel vats until the end of November producing the a... must is then fermented may be one of my least favorite sentences <laughs> the must is then the must is then fermented <laughs> oh god producing a dry white wine with 11 to 12% alcohol content Previously, wine, the fer- wine, wine. Previously, the fermentation and initial aging was done in wood. 
Now it is almost exclusively done in stainless steel, with the exception of one or two high-end wines. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now on to fortification. Almost. All right. So, Chris, I'm going to need a sturdy wall built over here on our on both flanks. Oh, okay. I'm going to need to be at least at least eight feet high, but I'm going to need a second wall behind that. It's ten feet high. So we cross that one. Then we're so we're gonna, are we going to go by the the old Roman Roman regulations? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, the the fortification thing made me think of that game that I played before. It was like the little stick people, like made out of popsicle sticks. That was like the, oh yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, it was a great game. I don't remember what the what it, the name of it is now. Uh, anyway, okay. Uh, immediately after fermentation, the wine is sampled and the first classification is performed. The casks are marked with the following symbols according to the potential of the wine. So a single stroke indicates a wine with the finest flavor and aroma suitable for Fino or Amontillado. These wines are fortified to about 15% alcohol to allow the growth of floor. It also lets you know how many dead bodies are in the Amontillado. <laughs> exactly. Um, a single stroke with a dot indicates a heavier, more full-bodied wine. These wines are fortified to about 17.5% alcohol to prevent the growth of floor, and the wines are aged oxidatively to produce Oloroso. I, I keep you thinking you're saying, like, La Rosa, and I'm like, man. <laughs> La Rosa's pizza. <laughs> pizza. Uh, a double stroke indicates a wine which will be allowed to develop further before con- determining whether to use the wine for Amontillado or Oloroso. These wines are fortified to about 15% alcohol. And then a triple stroke indicates a wine that has developed poorly and will be distilled. So <laughs> That's no, your vinegar right there. I had the bottle in the fridge, so I had to go and get it. It was the Lawfully Grand Reserve PX, and it even mm-hmm. says, Pedro Jimenez Sherry Barrel Aged Lawfully Sour yes. Brown Ale mm. with Tahitian vanilla beans oh yes yes jace jace all right Um. so now we know exactly what that has all been telling us for the longest time and it even had a nice little sentence down here to explain it but we're alcoholics and didn't bother to look at that (laughs) we were too drunk to read chris and we're not wine people to be fair look we were going on willy wonka's drunken tour (laughs) Okay, uh, the sherry is fortified using destillado, made by distilling wine, usually from La Mancha. Uh, there, there's a lot of windmills and a lot of old men on donkeys going at them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the distilled spirit is first mixed with mature sherry to make a 50-50 blend known as uh, mitad y mitad, half and half. And Man, their coffees must be... Yeah. <laughs> out of this world <laughs> and then the mitad y mitad is mixed with the younger sherry to the proper proportions this two stage procedure is performed so the strong alcohol will not shock the young sherry and spoil it <laughs> oh <laughs> anybody that's getting that, that image that may be anybody? the creepiest wine sentence we've ever read <laughs> that's some yeah don't uh, shock the young sherry <laughs> it can't see uh, Cover its eyes. Picture that being read by, like, during like a, a nature documentary. <laughs> oh, okay. Now the strong uh, alcohol has come from the young sherry. I need, I need Richard Attenborough to read that to me. <laughs> it must, 
Must be careful not to shock it. It'll spoil the sherry. <laughs> God, that's so wrong. Uh, what really defines sherry beyond the grapes and terroir uh, is the way it's aged. The different types of are basically expressions of the science and slightly frustrating magic of aging. <laughs> All sherry is aged with the Solera system. Basically, it sounds like a sci-fi space system. <laughs> it does. Uh, basically, a, oops, a cask rotation system where the final product is a blend of younger and older sherries. But while some sherries are oxidized, meaning allowed exposure to oxygen, uh, which impacts the flavor, some are intentionally deprived, kept under a naturally occurring and systematically encouraged layer of yeast called a floor, basically a club bouncer for oxygen trying to get into the party. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that when we were talking about the styles, but I yeah. like yeah. this description better. Yeah, yes, it's more relatable, really. It's why it's why it got kept in <laughs> because the floor comes from ambient yeast in the winery where sherry is aged uh, becomes part of its expression. When the floor disappears on purpose or by accident, oxidation occurs and darker, richer flavors arise, which is one reason why sherry can achieve the incredible hoodwink of having a sweet, fruity, nutty aroma and a bone-dry mouthfeel. Right. That is super accurate. Since right, we're sherry. So there's Rice. a nice there's a nice <laughs> little graphic that only we can see, but it's uh, it's wine serving size comparison. And it's basically, so wine should normally be served in about a five-ounce glass. Whiskey, as it's showing, should be served, and it, it, it's showing a nice uh, Glencairn, Glencairn. Mm -hmm. uh, one-ounce is all you should be having. Sherry sits in the middle. You should be having about three ounces. In a crystal-stemmed glass. I, I disagree with their assumption of how much whiskey I should have poured. That I disagree <laughs> with, and I've also drank like nine times the amount of sherry they're suggesting. I'm. This has been growing on me. I'm just like, yeah, this is fine. <laughs> the more you have it, yeah. No, <laughs> the drunker you are, the less, less worried out, you are like... about how it tastes. Yeah. Gonna, so we're gonna get into this. I want to say it was uh, like it was dawning on me. It's like it was rather hammy, like canned ham. What? I was getting canned ham out of this thing. Well, it's because we you're weird, weirder than me. What? All right. Let's uh. So the, so let's start. Let's let's, let's have let's have this debate. Let's have a structured debate. Into what, and we're, what we're drinking. Drink with me, friend. So, Brittany. We're going to start with your point, and then we'll move on to Chris's counterpoint. Well, it doesn't taste like ham, first of all, but it, it's, um, it's not ham. a it's not a Roush beer, is what I'm hearing. Correct. <laughs> uh, so we got the um, Alvera Mantilla Fino. I'm hoping that that's a thing that I said right. Uh, Fifteen percent ABV, which is uh, standard, basically. Pale straw in color. Fresh, yeasty, crusty bread nose with notes of salty almonds. Clean and tangy with a refreshing finish and a softness which makes it delightfully easy to drink. I would say, yes, that is correct. <laughs> um, I This really grows on you. And there, there's like an apple-y kind of um, vibe, both in the aroma and in the taste. Um, but it's a weird mix of sweet and savory. Um, in, in the wine itself. Uh, it's a little off-putting on the first drink, but then on the back end, it's a very nice flavor. Um, kind of a rich 
I, I don't even know how to, what to say. It's been like, interesting uh, watching your all's facial reactions to it at first. Like, ah, uh, uh, ooh. At first, you're like, oh. <laughs> That's the appropriate, yeah. You get this, like, crisp apple sweetness. You're like, so, okay, it's like most white wines have had. And then this, like, the weird middle part of your tongue. That's when I'm like, oh, God, it's like bad canned ham or something. I was like, oh, oh, it's Okay, bad. I didn't get that. And then it hits but... the back. You're like, hmm. There's, like, a nice salty umami when it hits the back. You're like, hmm. Hmm, yes. And the, but it's just like a roller coaster for the first bit, and then you get drunk and you don't care, and you're just like, yeah, whatever, it's grapes. It's a little bit sweet, but it's mostly dry, and it's it's just tasty after a while. <laughs> All right. Not even after a while, but like after a few drinks. <laughs> so, Chris, counterpoint: you say ham. I definitely like those first oh, few drinks. The yeah. middle of it is hammy. Um. Yeah. Uh, Furry Viking brings up um, peach, apricot, plum. I apricot and plum. Yeah, that's that's kind of accurate. I think. I got salty canned ham. The the salt thing. Yeah. Well, and it mentioned the salt almonds, and that that seems that seems to ring true too. Um, I did again. Didn't get the ham. Uh, <laughs> but. I, it's it's such a weird blend of, of sweet and savory, like I said before. Like I, I but I, I kind of like it. Like I don't know that I would, you know, we're not wine people still, so I wouldn't just go like randomly get this. But I, I'm a fan. I think so. Of this. No, even wine people, there's no such thing as sherry people anymore. <laughs> Tbh, because when I was shopping, I went to a gigantic store and they had this tiny little area. That was, well, they have all their fortifieds were together. You technically went to two different stores to find it, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Uh, but the second one I went to, where I actually could get help, and because I had no effing clue where to find it, because no one's just like, Sherry's over here. No, they only had like three different kinds, and the dude was like, are you drinking or are you cooking with it? <laughs> and he's like, because we sell $5 bottles that are like a gallon jug of it, of like really bad Sherry that you wouldn't want to drink that you can cook with, or you can get... Like there's there's no such thing as like an expensive bottle of sherry, not at that not where I was. The most expensive bottle they had was like twenty seven bucks for a half bottle. Hmm. I think the bottle we got was like fifteen, <laughs> just because I couldn't find a bottle that said sherry on it. Yeah. Well, I think sherry is in a downturn in terms of uh, hmm. its popularity. I guess at least among you know alcoholics age. 21 to 45. <laughs> and to Furry Viking chat, I did not have bacon for breakfast. It would have been better. I do think if you like um, dry ciders, you might like this. But I, I think I like it because it's still not quite as sweet as a lot of ciders that I've had. Because mm-hmm. um, ciders are still just too sweet for me. Look, when I was buying wine, I knew I didn't like wine, period. And she likes dry wine. So I went the driest sherry they have. <laughs> the driest, they, um, horrible, yeah. possible, yes. I may have to try some because I I could not drink. Well, I could have tried to drink to style, but I had I had a whiskey I wanted to drink instead. Well, I mean, <laughs> what whiskey <laughs> what you did you do? want to drink instead? Well, I wanted to drink uh, Great King Street by Compass Box. Oh, because Compass Box, yeah, I mean, because that's... Compass Box, <laughs> and because it's uh it's aged in a uh, sherried marrying cask. Hmm. Yes. It's a blended whiskey from Compass Box. It's a four point nine percent. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, that's the percentage. Forty nine percent ABV. That's the percentage for the 
the ounce. Uh, 4.9. Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> barely anything. Can't even get you drunk. It's legal. It's absolutely legal to have it canned in Utah. <laughs> oh, man. Cans of compass box. Mm. I feel like the Scots would actually kick you out for that. It wouldn't even, like, it would just go, croak. Uh, uh, no, this, uh, I've had this for a little while. Uh, I picked this up <laughs> because Chris saw it on sale. I was in the area that particular weekend. He went, no, you have to buy this. I do. You have to buy this. Okay. With, within the week of you buying that, it all sold out because yeah, I'm no, I, I'm, I'm not saying you were wrong. And also I'm not saying I'm a heretic. I'm just making fun of how I mispronounced it's, it's strength. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's it's damn good whiskey. Uh, it has a ni- it has a nice different uh, flavor profile than some other uh, blended scotches I've had, but it's got a. Uh, this will sound weird. Depending on how you drink it, uh, I could either get a very. Uh, uh, I could either get a a. Uh, almost peppery but it's mostly from like the alcohol burn if you do like little little sips or if you uh, accidentally take a big gulp of it like i did earlier in the show <laughs> uh you get a very like smooth sweet like a lot of fruitiness in it um that's usually how i drink it i've been like it's so smooth and fruity hmm. maybe i need to stop gulping it <laughs> no but like it's got uh it still has like that that very like kind of oaky aftertaste but like as you're you're just kind of experiencing it it's just completely completely different no matter what you're you're doing and once again furry viking i am drinking great king streak artist blend from compass box aged uh aged in a single mary uh, single sherried mary marrying cask so technically to style technically to sell it's saw sherry at some point <laughs> Sherry touched that liquid. Yeah, and it's it's real good. Uh, I I save this thing like I barely open it because I'm just like I, I'm afraid to like once it's gone it's gone. Mm. That that is the one from Party Source. Yes, they've got another one in right now. And All I don't right, know what I got it was. tomorrow off. I'm getting it's, in the car. It's not on sale. Oh, okay. But they've got another one sitting on the shelf right now. Okay, you. How is it on the shelf, but not on sale? Never mind, it's fine. <laughs> no, it, it's not at a discounted price. Oh, okay, I follow you. I follow. Well, right. I think that about does it for this episode. It's it's fairly long, so yeah. yeah let's see. Our history section started roughly how long ago? <laughs> yeah, look, look there's a lot of history on this. We're talking Greek historians here. I mean, it was an interesting episode, though. Like, there was a lot to to. It had everything. It had Greek history, Greek geographers, pirates, <laughs> businessmen, fun Elizabeth Spanish I. words. Yeah, a lot of a lot of us butchering Spanish words. Henry the Eighth. I Again, mean, still not as bad as butchering German <laughs> uh, or Italian. Well, so don't forget that you can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Or you can follow us at Have a Drink Show on social media and on uh, Twitch.tv, where you might catch us if we start streaming early because a baby fell asleep early. Happens. Guys. From time to time. <laughs> uh, 
And don't forget, you can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. Tell us what body you put into your cask of Antimi. I'm going to scroll back up to find that word. Uh, What's... (laughs) What sort of body you put in your cask of sherry called Amontillado? Amontillado. Oh, because Magellan. Uh, no, because Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, Poe's. Yes, okay. Uh, you can use the email address feedback at halfadrinkshow.com where uh, you can make fun of me for how long it took me to get that joke out. Uh, you can also use the feedback page on the website. Look, when these shows stretch over an hour, remember, we've been drinking... <laughs> For a news show prior, and all through this one, Sherry. So all joking and fun aside, I'd like to remind everyone, please drink responsibly. When I'm blackout drunk, uh, Furry Viking in the chat is driving me home. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're already home. Yeah, one of the two. All right. (laughs) Okay, so you can check us out again uh, in a couple weeks for our next live episode. And remember, as we said before, check out patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Also haveadrinkstore.com where we have new products such as stickers and phone cases actually um all, all great places to support us yes. we appreciate everything we very much do it uh, it actually literally keeps the show running <laughs> uh so uh once again i'm Brittany lee walker i'm justin frazier and i'm christopher walker and this has been the thing we'll see you guys next time Bye. Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>